0: heard, the Acrostic Bible stands for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. While I'm not for oversimplifying and trivializing the Word of God, it's not a wrong title. In fact, in many ways, Luke 12 outlines for us precisely how we should live after Jesus leaves the earth. It's a primer on the right perspective of the trivial things of the physical versus the lasting value of the eternal. These things are worth consideration today from Luke chapter 12, verses 31 through 34 read, But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor." Make money bags for yourself that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke 12 provides us with a heavenly perspective regarding the earthly things of this life. Set in the context of Jesus' teaching to the crowds, who had come near to hear him, the Master gives us the proper way to think about the cares of this life and its possessions. It's striking to notice the judicial language present in this chapter. Jesus speaks quite frequently about judging value and worth in this life and the life to come. The true and righteous judge of all things, Jesus himself, knows the heart of those who truly value the things that are to come and those who mask their true intent for earthly power through the guise of religious hypocrisy. The chapter begins with Jesus' calling out of such insincerity present among the social elites, like the Pharisees. He warns his disciples to live lives of inner virtue and integrity, knowing that when the Lord... The righteous judge, who sees and knows all, does return, that everything hidden will be uncovered. Everything whispered in secret will be known in the streets. From here, Jesus admonishes his disciples not to fear the judge who can only kill you physically, as in the earthly ones, but instead to fear the judge that has the jurisdiction to kill both the body and the soul. When the time comes to acknowledge Christ and you're brought before human judges who would seek to persecute you, in that day there should be no fear of how you will defend yourself because the promise from God is that the Holy Spirit will teach you what you must say at this moment. Amid Jesus' words regarding the importance of acknowledging him in this life and speaking boldly for the Lord, the Master is interrupted. Can you imagine Jesus teaching and somebody speaking up in the middle of what he is saying and crying out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This man's little tattletale story has interrupted the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus is speaking about the importance of acknowledging him in such heavenly themes and tones, and then at once he is rudely interrupted with what appears to be a pretty petty tattletale request. Tell my brother to give me some of the inheritance. It seems like a pretty insignificant interruption when God is speaking to them. But Jesus uses the opportunity to expose the real issue here, and it becomes the springboard into a discussion about what is really important. Jesus' response is not that he should or shouldn't get some of the possessions. Instead, he presses deeper into the real problem, the problem of greed. He says one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus saw the real issue here wasn't the injustice of the man not receiving part of the inheritance, but the greed that demanded it. Jesus then launches into an illustration about the futility of such covetousness, telling the story of a rich man who runs out of room to store his crops and decides to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. He does all of this, never considering that his life could be required of him at any moment. All those things that he had desperately hoarded, would then be given to someone else. This attitude is how it is with one who stores up greed for himself, but isn't rich towards God. You see what Jesus is doing here. He's trying to elevate both this man and the crowd to higher levels of understanding and accountability. Because regardless of what they can accrue on the earth, they will stand before the Lord, the righteous judge, who has the capacity to kill both the body and the soul. And when we aren't developing a heart of generosity physically on this earth, it's often because our hearts are vexed with the vice of covetousness. But such greed is unwise, especially since the very things that we desperately hold on to will be ripped from our cold, dead hands. Jesus' sobering teaching points us to a more significant priority that we must develop, an understanding of what is eternal and what is temporary. In the scope of eternity, it is unwise to desperately delight in things that pass away on this earth so quickly. Jesus reminds us not to worry about these things. The very things that we worry about and obsess over are the things that will be burned up in a moment. Our life is worth more than that, and the kingdom that we receive is more than that. The kingdom must instead seek that which is eternal. You see, Jesus knows our needs, and he also knows that what we value most is what we will obsess over. This principle is why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I were going to summarize this whole chapter, it would seem that the focus in every aspect was to live your life with eternity in mind and not for this temporary existence. Over and over, Jesus warns us to not get consumed or worried about the affairs of this life. Instead, we must live lives focused on the eternal kingdom that is to come. In many ways, it serves as a primer as to how these disciples were to live following Jesus' ascension. Three times now Jesus had informed these disciples of his intent to go to Jerusalem and there be arrested, prosecuted, beaten, persecuted, executed, and resurrected. Though these disciples likely did not see it at the time, we would do well to see how Jesus' instructions in these verses remind us of how we should live in light of the King that is to come. The first three verses deal with religious hypocrisy, and Jesus implores his followers to avoid the religious hypocrisy of those of that day. We are to live honestly and openly, with integrity, knowing that all will be exposed one day. Nothing hidden will be left unexposed. In verses 4-7, through we learn about the value of fearing God. Because there will come a time when these men will be tempted to fear man because persecution will come upon them, and they will be afraid. But Jesus encourages them to have courage and not fear those who kill the body, but not the soul. In verses 8 through 12, Jesus commends to us the importance of acknowledging him before those leaders. Jesus encourages his followers to stand firm in the face of opposition and persecution to speak boldly for him, regardless of the cost, knowing that if they acknowledge him, he will acknowledge them before the Father. He further tells them not to worry about what to say, because God will give these disciples grace and the words to speak at that moment. Verses 13-21 through chronicle the parable of the rich fool. Jesus warns these men against the futility of laying up for themselves treasures on earth. Because in light of eternity, our life is so short, and it is not wise to lay up for yourselves treasures that you can't take with you, but will be corrupted and stolen, especially since you don't know how long you will be here, and that those things will take wings and fly away. Verses 22 to 34 tell us the cure for anxiety. Instead, they shouldn't worry about those things that they think they should hold on to. Those possessions are little comfort in the life to come. Plus, God knows exactly what they need. Instead, they should seek heavenly things, knowing that where they value things is where their heart will be. Number six, verses 35 through 41 tell us to be ready for the Master's return. Jesus encourages these disciples to be ready as servants, always living for the master's return. Like a servant who never knows when his master will come back, he should live in light of his coming, knowing that at any moment he could come back and the wise servant will work in light of that return. Verses 42-48 through tell us about the value of reward and the danger of punishment. For those who labor uprightly, the master will richly reward them when he returns. But those who live as if he is not returning anytime soon will be caught off guard when he does come, and they will be found lacking. Those who live this way can expect punishment when the master returns. Verses 49 to 53 tell us about Jesus' point in coming. He makes clear that his message will be divisive. The truth will always expose error, and it will divide. There can be no middle ground. His message will divide before it brings peace and reconciliation. Not all roads lead to heaven, and that message will be regarded as divisive at times. Speaking of the times, in verses 54 through 56, Jesus wants his followers to recognize the world around him. They cannot live blindly without understanding what is going on. They know how to tell the weather, but they don't have the self-awareness regarding what is actually happening around them and the imminency of the king's coming again. Verses 57-59 through encourage us then to settle earthly accounts quickly. Part of this awareness involves settling things. They don't have time to get caught up in disputes that drag on in the courts over and over again, for the time is short and the master will return soon, and they need to be ready. Now, it's so easy to be consumed with earthly things. Everything in this life will pass away. We have to learn to keep our heart's affections and our mind's attentions on the kingdom that is to come. We don't need to worry about paying bills near as much as we need to live life with the perspective that our time is ultimately hidden in God. We need to fear him and live for him. Our heart must be for the kingdom that is to come. And one of the ways in which we do this is to recognize where we spend our resources. We've often heard that where your heart is, there your treasure will be. But this is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be. In other words, your heart follows your money. Where you spend your money is a dead giveaway to where your heart's attention is focused. And you can look at your checkbook and find out what's important to you. Because your heart automatically follows where your money goes. So we have to ask ourselves objectively, where is my heart? Where does my money go? Is my heart focused on temporary things that will pass away? Does the anxiety in our heart over not having these things reflect and signal that our heart is not where it should be? Understand not to chase after these things will always run countercultural to a world that is completely consumed with this life. But we are merely managers of everything that we own, and one day the master of the house will return. So are we living for that day? Will our hearts be joyful over how we have managed what God has given us? Or will we be filled with regret over having squandered it and lived as if our life was ours? All these ideas are connected in God's economy. When we consider these things, we do well to remember the advice of Jesus in this chapter. Live openly and honestly. Own your own faults, because they're going to be exposed anyway. Don't fear those who may persecute you, because they can only kill the body. God is ultimately worthy of greater fear. Living according to his precepts, no matter what causing us to speak boldly for God, even when it is unpopular, knowing that God is watching and will reward that boldness and punish that timidity. We shouldn't get caught up in money and the things of this world, but we should instead live for the world that is to come. It's okay to have money. It's not okay for money to have you. When you live this way, you don't have to worry about what you have in this life. Because God will provide for you. Worry is a clue that you may be too attached to this world and its things. Live as if the master is returning for you. Understanding that the time is short, the stuff isn't yours, and the master is coming home. And you will be held accountable for how you manage his property. On that day, we will be glad that we live this way. For we will be rewarded or punished based upon how we managed these things. The message that we preach may appear divisive, but that's what the truth does. Only when people fully acknowledge that fact can peace be experienced. Remember that the time is short to live accordingly, not to worry, not to get attached, to speak the truth and live openly. Don't get caught up in the affairs of this life because they don't matter in God's return. Settle the matter quickly and focus on the right things. So Jesus, forgive the anxiety in our hearts over temporal things that pass away. Help us to be more consumed with the Master finding us faithful rather than getting ahead and paying all our bills with what's left over. Help our hearts to be fixed on things above, and that happens when we put our treasure there. So God help us to do it. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.